Welcome everyone again tonight to our evening worship service. We're going to start our uh, time together with hymn number three, Holy, Holy, Holy. Well, as we sing about the the majesty of the Lord, uh, there is supposed to be some thunderstorms that are going to be happening maybe any time through the service tonight. We're not sure exactly, but if you hear them, well, let us think again on the great majesty and mighty power of our great God. We'll stand, please, as we sing number three. Let's bow our hearts and our minds before the Lord now in prayer. Our eternal Father and our loving God, we humble ourselves 
in your most holy presence tonight. And we bow in your thrice holy name, of Father, of Son, and of Spirit. And surely, Lord, the sentiment of this hymn we have sung, it speaks of the Trinity, of your power and glory. And Father, as Isaiah saw the majesty and the holiness of God, he was dumbfounded. He fell down before the One who is the eternal God. And Lord, tonight we come to humble ourselves. We come, Lord, to acknowledge the greatness and glory and majesty of our Redeemer. We pray, Father, tonight that we will know the anointing of the Spirit of God, helping us to pray, lifting our minds above and beyond the mundane or ordinary things of this life, and that this time we devote, we dedicate as a sacred hour, as a time to distance ourselves from those things that are justifiable, that are good, but, Lord, that should not intrude upon a sacred time of worship. And I pray that as we give ourselves to reading the Word and to praising Thy name, and, Lord, to investigating a little deeper into the things of God, that, Lord, we will be edified, we'll be blessed, we will be built up, Lord, in our most holy faith, that we will lift our hands and our hearts and pray, dear Father, that Your will and way would be perfectly developed in our life, and that we would walk in the fear of our God, and that we would have a reverential love for the One who has created us and sustains us. We're thankful, Lord, today that we have a living relationship with the true vine, our Lord Jesus. And Father, we do not want in any way to go through some kind of charade or just putting in an hour or in any way that we will not be seen as genuine followers of Christ. And that, Lord, Your perfect will would be so revealed to us, so made clear, and that we will walk willingly in Your truth so that we'll be light and salt in a dark world, we want, Father, to be good testimonies. We want to be soul winners for Jesus. We desire, Lord, nothing more but to fulfill and to honor and to complete Your divine purpose for our lives. Forgive us, we pray, Lord, where we have fallen so far short, 
Forgive us where we have not submitted ourselves the way we know we should. We have lost and missed opportunities to speak for your name. Lord, put all those things behind us, for we want to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let this congregation of believers, let us be devoted unto your cause. Help us, we pray, not to allow the devil to make use of us in any way, that there would not be any root of bitterness or disunity that would spring up, for that's exactly what the evil one wants, Lord, we know. We pray that in every turn he will be defeated, that you will bind him, Lord, and not allow him to have his way in any of our lives. Bless us, every family with household salvation. May there be a very precious unity between husband and wife in every family. I pray that there would be a deep respect of children for parents, and there would be an honor and a respect of parents to children, and the living example of the gospel would be seen in every family. Lord, we are, we are very appreciative and thankful for the visitors and folks who have been coming in recently to our services. May there be a special blessing upon them. May their hearts be open, and may they be satisfied by the Holy Spirit with the Word. And may their hunger that they come with, may, Lord, that be, be satisfied. Dear Father, bless us, we pray, in everything we put our hand to do for the extension of the gospel. Remember our sick ones. Again, we have named them many times. We do so again, Father, remembering our brother Steve Kelly, his wife Carol. Help them at this time of their, of their sickness and need. We pray for Esther, their daughter. We ask that in all of the events that must take place in the next little while, that you would make the crooked ways straight and the rough places plain, that you would help, Lord, in every detail. Remember our brother Ron, sustain him, Father, in the difficulty of his life. Bless him, stabilize him. We pray that our sister Serene would know very clearly the touch of God upon her body and help her spiritually as well. Lord, we are thankful. We are in a body of Christ. We are in with those who love the Savior and who love one another and who want to share, to show the love of Christ carefully and patiently. Let that be part of each one of us in our lives. So hear us now tonight. Bless us. We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Number 498. 498. We'll stand, please, again as we worship.
final uh, two verses. Verse 5 says, Why should I complain of want or distress, temptation or pain? He told me no less. Well, that is so true for the Christian's life. The Lord has promised that we will suffer persecution for His cause. And uh, that sometimes is an unwelcome thing to us. Nonetheless, we praise Him when we know the Lord stands by our side. He is with us, promised never to leave nor to forsake. We have every reason to rejoice tonight. Now you've had four verses to get a hold of this tune. So in these verses 5 and 6, let's really lift our voices and our praise to the Lord. Verse number 5. Now, returning tonight, please, for our reading to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 52. Jeremiah, chapter 52. You can use one of the Red Pew Bibles in front of you if you do not have your own tonight. As soon as we begin this reading, you will make the connection that we have with the book of Daniel. Jeremiah the prophet, he spoke of Nebuchadnezzar and of the captivity of the people of God and some of the events that surrounded that time period. So we're going to start at verse 12 of Jeremiah 52 reading down to verse 19, and then we will slip over to verse 26. First of all, Jeremiah 52 and verse 12. Now, in the fifth month, in the tenth day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard which served the king of Babylon into Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and all the houses of the great men burned he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans that were with the captain of the guard, break down all the walls of Jerusalem round about. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, 
carried away captive certain of the poor of the people and the residue of the people that remained in the city and those that fell away that fell to the king of Babylon and the rest of the multitude. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left certain of the poor of the land for vine dressers and for husbandmen. The pillars of brass that were in the house of the Lord and the bases and the brazen sea that was in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans break and carried all the brass of them to Babylon. The cauldrons also and the shovels and the snuffers and the bowls and the spoons and all the vessels of brass wherewith they ministered took they away. And the basins and the fire pans and the bowls and the cauldrons and the candlesticks and the spoons and the cups, that which was of gold in gold and that which was of silver in silver, took the captain of the guard away. Verse 26. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon, to Riblah. And the king of Babylon smote them and put them to death in Riblah, in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive out of his own land. This is the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive in the seventh year, 3,000 Jews and three and twenty. In the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem 830 and two persons. And in the three and twentieth year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Jews 740 and five persons. All the persons were 4,600. And it came to pass in the seven and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, in the five and twentieth day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him forth out of prison, and spake kindly unto him, and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon, and changed his prison garments. And he did continually eat bread before him all the days of his life. And for his diet, there was a continual diet given him of the king of Babylon, every day a portion until the day of his death, all the days of his life. 
May the Lord bless His Word and give to us understanding and clarity as we put together the different readings and the context that we have here from Jeremiah's prophecy, and then as we will come also to consider further in our study of the book of Daniel. It is good to see you here tonight in the Lord's house. We're glad that you are here with us, and we want to encourage you to be as you're here. And if you're watching our service tonight online, we encourage you, whether you're near or far, and we pray the Lord's blessing would be upon each one of you. As I prayed tonight again for the Kelly family, we hold our brother Steve and sister Carol and their daughter up to the Lord and just pray that God would help them in their hour of need and He would bless them abundantly and they would be encouraged in the Lord and they would get through more of the complications that have taken place for them in their own lives. Remember, please, the services this week, the prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and Dr. McClellan will be bringing the Word on Wednesday evening, and then next Lord's Day morning, Reverend Cranston from our Port Hope congregation will be ministering in the morning, and then Mr. Jonathan McAnally, one of our elders, will be bringing the Word in the evening. Some of our men are away. Some of our folks are on holidays. Uh, Brother James Fraser and his wife down visiting their family in South Carolina. And also uh, Brother Alec Newell and also uh, Daniel Vautour and his wife Kathy. Uh, They're down east doing some holidaying. And they were able to have fellowship today in our Fredericton congregation So I do ask you to remember all of these folks in their travel, going out and coming back in, that they would know the Lord's hand on them. Let me remind you, please, that next Lord's Day evening after the service, there will be the time of fellowship downstairs. So ladies, please make preparation for that as it is the last Lord's Day of the month. Then also on the first Lord's Day of August, our communion service will be in the evening time. So please just take note of that for your own calendar. Those are all the ministry announcements I leave with you tonight. We're going to sing again to the Lord's praise, number 525, to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Remain seated while we sing.
Amen. Turn now, please, in the book of Daniel, chapter 5. We're reading the first four verses of this chapter, Daniel 5. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Dear Father, we pray tonight that we will have understanding in the Word of God. I pray for the necessary help, the unction of the Holy Spirit to give the Word of God and to speak the truth with the authority of heaven. This is not a game. Lord, we do not want to play at this very, very solemn ministry of truth. Therefore, Lord, take away every foolish notion and every silly thought and every distracting thing. And I pray that all of us will come under the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will learn, that we will govern our lives and learn the necessary lessons. Teach us, Lord, I pray. Give us a heart for Your Holy Word commandments, statutes, testimonies, that all of these things be very prominent in our hearts. Hear us tonight. We ask these things for the glory and the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we continue in our study 
And we have now come to chapter 5 of this prophecy and book of Daniel. There is a main person that comes to the forefront in this scene. His name, of course, is Belshazzar. The title for this series within the series is simply Belshazzar, A Path of Willful Destruction. And so in part one tonight, I want us to think about his flagrant rejection of God and how this is presented to us and in these first four verses that we have read. Chapter 5 of this chapter, of this portion, book of the Bible, records the peculiar events surrounding this king of Babylon by the name Belshazzar, when in the middle of a feast, the king is arrested by a strange writing on the wall of the palace containing a divine edict that was directed toward the king and ultimately toward the nation. But why is this account recorded in Holy Scripture? Why are we informed about a gala-style party that singles out one man's ignorance about future events and the inability of the local soothsayers to interpret the message and finally, again, the calling of the only man in the empire who had been able to reveal mysteries in the past, and he is now called to do the same again. As we investigate this inspired story, it will become clear once more that nothing in the Bible is there by mistake. Or it's not simply there to attract the intention or the interest of historians or perhaps those who are a little curious. So as we study Belshazzar and his actions and how God uses his faithful prophet Daniel once again, we're, we're confronted with some very stern warnings of the consequences that await those who disregard the law and the character of God. This chapter is about Belshazzar's path of willful destruction, and this section tonight we're looking at about his flagrant rejection of the God of heaven. I want you to think first place about Belshazzar's sudden entrance upon the page of history, his very sudden entrance. For many years, um, historians and, well, Bible commentators, some of them, had questioned the existence of Belshazzar because his name was nowhere found in any of the other 
historical writings, and therefore they doubted the authenticity of the book of Daniel itself. Back when we were looking many weeks ago, uh, introducing the whole study of Daniel, we thought again about some of the details of the why people would have rejected the book of Daniel, why they believed it was not Daniel who wrote the book, why they thought it was someone in the time of the Maccabees hundreds of years later. And we went through some of the details why those things are to be rejected and that Daniel indeed is the author of the book and it is in the Word of God inspired as Daniel is a prophet of God and mentioned in the New Testament. There was a lot of doubt about the authenticity of Belshazzar, that is, until the year was 1854, and a man by the name of J.G. Taylor, when he was excavating the ancient city of Ur, he discovered something. And it has become known as the Nebonidus Cylinder. And this became a very important record because it revealed something that had been for a long time hidden. It had revealed the name Belshazzar. Let me read to you part of the prayer that is recorded by King Nebonidus. He said, As for me, Nebonidus, king of Babylon, save me from sinning against your great Godhead and grant me as a present in life. Long days. And as for Belshazzar, the eldest son, my offspring, instill reverence for your great Godhead in his heart, and may he not commit any cultic mistake. May he be sated, be full with a life of plentitude. It's not exactly known the connection or relationship that Nabonidus had with Nebuchadnezzar. It is thought by some that he was connected with the king Nebuchadnezzar through the marriage of one of his daughters. But undoubtedly, Nabonidus was a king in Babylon. And this is proved by this discovery. And not only was he a king in Babylon, but he was the last king recorded in Babylon. Now, what happened between Nebuchadnezzar, who was the first king, and we come all the way down to Nabonidus, who was the last king officially, we had many kings that served in between that time that are not recorded for us in the Bible. But they do pop up these names in secular history. One of them that does appear in the Bible is one we read from Jeremiah 52 by the name of Evil Merodach. And that king was a king that preceded Nabonidus. Whether he was the immediate predecessor or one that was a few before, we're not exactly certain. But the time frame of the captivity and when evil Merodach was king over Babylon during the time when 
Israel had been taken captive, evil Merodach came to power after Nebuchadnezzar, obviously. And so there is a, a very close linking between them. Now the question arises, well then why is Belshazzar called a king here in Daniel chapter 5? And why is Nabonidus' name not mentioned? Well, the answer is and appears to be that Belshazzar was a co-regent with his father, and his father's name was Nabonidus. And that means that he had governing power over the city of Babylon when his father was in some other area of the empire conducting kingly business. And so he had authority, Belshazzar did, over all of Babylon at that particular time where they were. And that's why he is recorded and given the designation of king because he ruled as the king. He ruled with that authority. We must also keep in mind that the book of Daniel was not written as Babylonian history. It was written and inspired as a Jewish article. And for the purpose of the church, then and now. But nothing else is known about this man, Belshazzar. And certainly from the biblical account, he appears in this one place, and nothing is said about what he did apart from his foolish disregard for the sacred things that belong to God. One commentator noted this. He said, This poor, luxurious, profane king who comes up, he drinks, he trembles for an hour before us in a blaze of splendor, and then passes away swiftly into the chaos of night. This reveler would never have been heard of but for the fingers of a man's hand that wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the palace. There is nothing interesting in the man. He does nothing. He says nothing. He is nothing. If Belshazzar excites any feeling in our minds, it is utter astonishment at his folly. Not a bad synopsis. So, the sudden entrance of Belshazzar on the page of biblical history is in some ways a mystery. There is nothing recorded about what he did to defeat his enemies or to defend the empire. His focus seems to be on partying. At least that is the only notable thing recorded about him. Campbell Morgan, the commentator, he said this, the solemnity of this whole story lies in the fact that it is not a warning, but a verdict pronounced. It's not a story of hope. It's one of judgment, swift, sure, irrevocable, nothing left. A man had his opportunity. He had his examples. He had his warnings. And now he has come to his end. This is in itself, my dear friends, a very 
stern warning to every one of us. How will we be remembered? Will we we be remembered as we were thinking this morning about those who are in the vine, branches of Christ, bearing fruit, a great harvest for the Lord? We pray that will be the case. But friend, what if you are unsaved here in our service, online, listening at some later time to this message perhaps? Where do you fit in? Will you be remembered something like the way Belshazzar was remembered? What is your life now? Are you living with purpose and with meaning for the God of heaven, or are you just drifting toward eternity? And the warning does come to us too, you know, as Christians, because if we are not being as fruitful as we should be, perhaps we need to have our thoughts and our lives arrested so that we don't just drift toward eternity. Friends, take heed to the Word of the Lord and take heed to the lessons that are given to us. For this man came suddenly upon the page of church history and he left as suddenly as he came. There's something else we have in these verses we've read tonight. And that is from verse 2 we are given his scandalous exhibition. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Now you'll notice there a little point, I'll clarify, it speaks about Nebuchadnezzar, his father. It's actually his grandfather or his great-grandfather. And the term father is used here biblically as those who are in the ancestral line. It's a number of times repeated in other scriptures where we have that given to us. A great feast was organized by this king, and the invitation list was quite extensive. A thousand of his lords, his wives, concubines. And the concubines were lesser than wives, but they were all part of the harem of the king. And then all the servants that were required to supply the food and the drink. And you could think for a moment about who would have been awarded the wine contract for that party. That would have been a good contract to have. It wasn't just brought in bottles. It would have been brought by the wagon load. There was a lot of drinking that was done at that party. A central point is that the king drank wine before the thousand. The Bible tells us that specifically. In other words, he was not showing any restraint in his chugging back The chalice was lifted to his mouth regularly, and he drained them, and they were filled again. Verse 2 informs us that while he tasted the wine, but I assure you this was not a wine-tasting conference. This was something much more than this. This was a, a drinking binge that was going on. 
as every commentator that I have read on this believe that this phrase, it means that the king was under the influence of the fermented drink that caused drunkenness. The alcohol had taken its effect and with common restraints now lifted, it came to his lubricated and drunken mind the novel idea of getting the Jewish temple vessels and they would be distributed to all the guests as far as they would go and the party would be notched up a level and they would have their revelry of laughter and think of the domination of the mighty Babylon and how they had conquered Israel and they had conquered all the Jews and they had conquered the God of the Israelites as well. And they enjoyed their moment. Albert Barnes noted this, Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, as the effect of tasting the wine, stating a fact which is illustrated in every age and land that men under the influence of intoxicating drinks will do what they would not do when sober. That's nothing new. There's an application for us. You know about the widespread use of alcoholic beverages and the mind-altering recreational drugs that are used so freely today. The argument for their benefit is often simply an excuse for their indulgence. One of the distinctive positions of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America is simply that if anyone desires to join the local church, that they must acknowledge that they will abstain from the use of recreational alcohol and of the use of recreational drugs. Now, over the years, we have been mocked and ridiculed for our teetotaling position because of the so-called restraint upon biblical liberty. And so, as we have required people to do that, if they want to join and become a part of us, and that has been the accusation brought against the denomination. Well, I have lived a few years, and I have seen enough. I have seen the devastation of alcohol. I have seen the devastation of drug use in my own life, in many years past, and in the lives of many other people and the great destruction that it has brought to lives and to families. But I have also seen, my dear friends, the loss of testimony among so-called Christians who have claimed their religious liberty to drink alcohol and to make use of recreational drugs. The testimony of those that have fallen into that trap of social drinking who have been arrested 
for impaired driving, who have been involved and fallen into moral sin because, well, under the influence of alcohol, where social drinking was taken a step too far. Yes, friends. Now, whatever your view may be on the Bible's interpretation of wine and strong drink, the free church has from its inception held that the public testimony of Christ and the gospel, and for that we desire to distance ourselves from the pleasure crazes of this age and generation. And that includes the use of recreational alcohol and drugs that constitute a major part of the problem in our society today. Now, of course, with the legalization of marijuana and the products that are associated with that, liberated Christians are also able to smoke up to the glory of God. And why not? Since the government of the land has legalized it, a once-banned substance, all is good. Or is it? But what about the testimony of the gospel to the world? What about the offer of the gospel of Christ? And how is it that when we would say to people that the gospel of Christ is able to deliver you from the vices that are now entangling your life? There is liberty in the gospel, we would say. There is freedom in the gospel from these things. But what does the modern or liberated evangelist say? He says to his neighbor, let's smoke a joint and we'll talk about the Lord and how He can deliver you. The whole thing, my dear friend, is a mockery. It's a mockery to Christ. And it's a mockery to the example and to the gospel. And therefore, the older I get, the more convinced I am for the stand that we have taken in our churches. And I pray that God will bless the testimony and use it for His honor and for His glory and for the glory of God. God gives us this example here within this chapter. He tells us the Word of God. And He gives us this to show, yes, the vast excesses that can take place. And in Belshazzar's case, this was a festival to honor the gods of Babylon, which was all the more reason to, I suppose, gloat in the victory over Israel, the destruction of the temple that we read about being taken apart piece by piece. And all of this was represented in the gods of Babylon because they, of course, were the victors. Thinking nothing at all that the sovereign God was bringing His discipline and His correction upon His own people for their sinful behavior, but that was not at all in the mind of these people. Whatever respect that Nebuchadnezzar had for these vessels, and it appeared that there was something to do with that because they were kept away, these sacred artifacts. Usually, 
Such actions are not just the impulse of a moment. I'm thinking about Belshazzar taking these vessels, but maybe he thought about them a hundred times. Let's get those vessels out here when we're having our party. But no, he didn't do it. But now, this was a great feast to his gods. And he brought them out. These things that were very special. Now, I want to tell you that the vessels that came from the temple in Jerusalem, they were not magical. It was not like Aladdin's lamp. There was nothing special about them. They were made of gold or silver or brass, or they were made of the elements that were around even in Babylon. There was nothing special or mystical about them. But what was the difference? They were dedicated to God's holy use. They were dedicated to the God of heaven. And in that sense, when someone was going to intentionally defile them, they were intentionally defiling and rebuking the God of heaven. And that's how it all boils down. Here was the open and the flagrant abuse of them in this drunken bash at the height of disrespect and of dishonor to the God of heaven. This was a scandalous exhibition by a godless king showing his utter disdain for all that was sacred and holy and pure. Belshazzar, this man, was at the very pinnacle of his mockery, at the very height of all that he had done to show dishonor to the Lord. This was a crowning moment. It had all come to pass now. He was toasting to the victory of great Babylon, conquering the world, standing master and king of all. Little did this foolish man know that what the God of heaven was allowing to take place just outside the walls of Babylon. As the Medo-Persian army had gathered Belshazzar at the time could sing, I think, Sinatra's song, I did it my way. And he certainly did. But you know, this man is all too common an example of the heart of man that's been lifted up in pride and self-indulgence. Self-made men conquering the world, a bank account that has no limit, it seems, And what will they do? They will lift up their animosity, their hatred, their ridicule, their mockery of the gospel, of Christ, of the God of heaven, and they will have their moment. My friends, that's all it will be. A moment. And God will bring one day to account. Yes, we see the, at times, the full public display of such Hell of such rejection. Hell's Angels motorcycle gang converging in Toronto this past week. That's an open display and a very public one of those who are against God and against everything God stands for. And you have the lifestyle of those type of people. Denial of the authority of God in the life Denial of any accountability of the Lord and to Him. 
blasphemy that comes to the forefront. My dear friend, what is the answer? If a person is outside of Christ, do not think that you can sow and sow and sow wildly to yourself and your foolish behavior. There's coming a day of reckoning. And the day of reckoning will be when God brings the harvest to your home, to your doorstep. That harvest will be an awful one to pay. Therefore, if today is the accepted time of the gospel, if today is the open day of opportunity, then now is the day of repentance. Now is the day to set aside foolish rejection of the God of heaven and receive Him to yourself, friend. Belshazzar had a sudden entrance upon this historic history. There was a scandalous exhibition that came to the pass. We have in the third place tonight from verse 3 the king's shameless example. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. You might wonder why verses 2 and 3 are almost the same. Oftentimes the Bible does that, you know. It puts forward very clearly what was in the mind and the intention. And then the next verse follows, tells us the action was completed. This is exactly what they did. And here we have the king's shameless example. In your mind, go back to Proverbs 31 and verse 4. You have King Lemuel, uh, the man that's being admonished by his mother. And his mother says this to him, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. There's another warning in Ecclesiastes 10.17, Blessed art thou, O land, when the king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. Belshazzar was neither of these two. Those who are in leadership, whether it is in a church or even in the worldly context, a CEO of a company or someone representing something, those in leadership are to give an example of integrity and decency as far as the world would define that because it dishonors the company. It dishonors who you are representing if you bring shame to them. You're a bad example. And even the world doesn't want leaders who are bad examples. This was the case for Belshazzar, who instead of showing some degree of restraint or respect, he led the party in his drunkenness, and he brought his family, and he brought the princes and the lords to engage without any hesitation in defiling the precious things of the God of heaven, the sacred cups of God. They became communal cups. They drank and they passed them to their friends. 
They drank and they passed them around because there were not enough cups to go around to have the thousand lords and all the people there. So they were partying and drinking and passing these cups. They became communal cups. But it was not a communion of reverence at all, was it? It was a communion of wicked indulgence. That's what it was. Without restraint or thought of the implications of what they were doing. And all this evil was not only sanctioned by the king, but he led the way in this sacrilege. Belshazzar, like many professed ministers of the gospel, have led people into deep error. There are extremes of this. So-called professed ministers of the gospel, Jim Jones was one such, a leader of the Jonestown Commune in Guyana. 909 people were led to commit mass suicide. Another one of these characters that comes on the scene every once in a while, David Koresh, the cult leader of the compound called the Branch Davidian. It was in 1993 in Waco, Texas. They prepared themselves for the coming apocalypse. The FBI raided the facility, and there was a 51-day standoff. Finally, the compound was engulfed in flames because of the advancing and the stuff that was going on, and everyone inside the compound died. Women, children, all the wives that Koresh had. He was found later with a gunshot wound to the head, self-inflicted. So these are the radical examples in our day of people that have led instead of in the right direction. They have been leadership in the wrong direction. But are there not many other examples? What about institutions today that are leading millions and millions of people in anti-scriptural doctrines? What about Romanism? What about the example that has gone on shamelessly in these examples leading the way? Let us beware, my friends, that we do not offend one of these little ones. Let us be careful that we do not set a bad example. Let us be careful that we are walking in the pattern of the Lord because in this king's life, he is known because of his leadership in wickedness, his leadership in a shameless example. As one final thing, there is a great superficiality to all of this, and there was emptiness that was associated with it. Look at verse 4. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, iron, wood, and of stone. In one sense, we could say that the party that he had was not without purpose. It was a time, a festival, to praise the gods of Babylon and were given something of their M.O. They were gods of gold and silver, brass, iron, wood, and stone. And they drank wine and they praised the gods of gold. 
This was a worship feast. This was a sacred service in the style of heathen adoration. The more lurid, immoral practices that often accompanied such worship services we will not go into now. This was classic idolatry. They melted, they formed, they chiseled the gods out of the precious elements, and then what did they do? They bowed down and they worshipped them. How foolish, we think. How foolish to us, but all too common in the minds of those who are darkened by their own sin. Their hearts are unsaved. They do not know. But are things much different today? What about the religions that we have all around us that bow down to sticks and to stones? There's a vast number of our modern, cultured, enlightened society that worship these gods made of the same elements, though they might have some different forms to them. Gods of gold and silver, iron, wood, constituent elements and parts of the material world. Whatever form they take, They may be like cars or computers or any number of other things, but they equally become, in the minds of those who possess them, that which they bow down to. They worship as gods. They become their idol worship. Friends, let us take warning and beware Beware of the things of this world that are given for our use and benefit that we do not fail to see them in the vanity that they are and that one day they will be burned up. One day they will be all gone. And only thing left is the God of heaven that has promised to create a new heaven and a new earth. And so, in conclusion tonight, We've been given life for a purpose, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Let's beware that we do not dishonor the Lord by any kind of exhibition that would defile the sacred things and the Word of God. Let our example be one of godliness, reflecting the holiness of the Lord at all times. And let us beware of the vanity of stuff, And let us set our affection and our hearts on things above and not on things on the earth. Let us make use of them. Let us enjoy them. But let's beware that they are not idolized because then it will become a snare. There's so many things that we can learn from this account that God has presented for us tonight. And in this case, for this man his flagrant rejection of the God of heaven. And I pray that, friend, if you're here tonight without Christ or listening online, that the Lord would impress the truth. Now is the accepted time. Flee to Christ while you have time. And repent and know the joy and the peace there is of full salvation and of resting in the one who can give you that salvation, not in things, but in the God of heaven himself and that living relationship. Well, it is everything. And I pray that as we taste and see that the Lord is good, he will be lifted up in our minds. 
Let's bow, please, in prayer. Dear Father, we pray tonight that as Your Word always has something for us, we would draw lessons, we would learn for our, our own lives, that we would, Father, be an example of the believers in word and conversation, that we would guard our testimonies, that, Lord, we would be led unmistakably in the center of Your divine will. Save any or unsaved here watching online. Part us, Lord, now in Your fear and with Your rich and mighty blessing. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.